Welcome to Give Pause, Greater Vancouver's business podcast, unpacking the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. We've been talking about infrastructure and development in recent episodes, and today we're going to talk about what might be the most critical component in all of that, our roads. British Columbia has some of the most complex needs of any region when you consider the incredible engineering that has gone into arterial highways like the Coquihalla, as well as all the bridges and tunnels that carry vehicular traffic throughout the Lower Mainland every day. Our highway system took on even more importance last fall when flooding devastated a number of critical transportation routes in the province. So let's take a deeper dive into all of this. And I am joined by the president of the BC Road Builders and Heavy Construction Association, Kelly Scott. Kelly, it's great to have you here. Terrific to be here, Bridget. Thank you very much. So let's start with last fall, because that really was such a remarkable period of time and and such a significant event. The flooding wiped out major highways, cut off the lower mainland from the rest of the province and really the country. And, you know, it seemed like a very short time to me anyway, and then the highways were reopened again, people and goods were moving. Can you talk a little bit about the role that your members played in that what really was a remarkable rebuilding effort? Yes, yes, I can. It's, um, you know, November 14th wasn't far, uh, one too long ago. And uh, what it brought to us was the need to come together. And what we saw when this uh, atmospheric river hit us uh, was a need to come together as one. And, and the industry collectively came together uh, with Ministry of Transportation. And we, we sometimes forget how important they are on this whole process. But the ministry came together with our road builders and, and started to assess and look what's going on. One thing about the road builders and the highway maintenance contractors in this province, they, they live in these communities. They live in the merits. They live in the hopes, the Abbotsfords. Um, uh, so they weren't watching this on CNN news or something. They were there, they were living it, and they were understanding the impact this was having. And not just on, on obviously the infrastructure, but the communities, the people. And, and probably from a road builder perspective, that really got people very motivated. And, you know, the first step in, in this process was safety. Um, find the roads are shut down, that's okay. As long as the people traveling the roads were safe, uh, the next step was, what about those communities that were, as you've seen, some of the devastation, like, you know, Chilliwack was an island. You know, how do we make sure they're okay and, and work with them? And what it uh, took from the road builders uh, industry, we, we had helicopters, we had trucks, we had equipment. We could reach out to those uh, communities. And it just was a collective effort of uh, one of our contractors up in the pipeline was shut down. They had three helicopters on standby. Well, let's go up and down the highway, seeing who's stranded, um, and just did that. Um, we had other communities where they had no food or supplies. How can we get the food out to them? Uh, even to the point where we sent crews into the Sumas Lake uh, pump station there to sandbag. Mm-hmm. So though some of the projects were shut down, we had crews and people available uh, to, to go to work. And then the other side about road builders being part of the community, in the middle of all this, we set up a uh, with Red Cross uh, a fund to help those uh, affected by it. And we raised about $1.5 million. 
Uh, and many of those donations came from our members. It really was quite astounding. You, you know, you mentioned Merritt, and I went to high school there, so I know that area really, really well. And I just, you know, even still, I was so struck by the devastation. Oh. I mean, you went up to that area, did you? And you must have just looked at it and just been uh, just beside yourself. You, we never, I never ever thought I would see it. And I remember looking at that Highway 8 from Spence's Bridge over towards uh, Merritt there. And I know I, I, could, I, I could not see where the highway started and where it ended. It, it was gone. And there were people just just isolated, no way of getting in or out of there. So we, we never, you know, we can never underestimate the force of nature. And I think uh, this more than ever has really brought it home to uh, the big guy up there when he wants to do something, uh, we're all gonna have to watch what's going on. You know, you mentioned November 14th and it really was such a short time ago. I think a lot of people are surprised that, uh, that the roads got open again and people and goods were moving again. What were some of the key learnings in making that happen so quickly? It's amazing what you can do when you get rid of the red tape. <laughs> Music to my ears, Kelly. Stand out of the way. Let the contractors get to work. Um, uh, that, that was one part of it. Um, um, uh, clearly, there was a, a drive to do something. There's a, a pride of workmanship going on here where... Uh, for a while there, the workers on the project were told they weren't going home for Christmas. Um, and that was okay, as much as it was going to be a sacrifice to the family, they wanted to be there working. Uh, so there's a real focus to get the job done, but uh, we can't say enough about the leadership that you need there. You needed one person or committee that when they spoke, everybody listened and got on with the job. And, and when that was going on and, and the individual was able to cut through a lot of the red tape, uh, it really allowed the teams to come together. And also when you've got a leader like that, they'll do things, they'll work those extra hours. And, and there's this pride of workmanship of saying, I help rebuild the Coke that uh, probably isn't in a lot of other industries. You know, we work in other industries, but boy, to stand back and say, that was the bridge I worked on. Uh, that drove a lot of it. We were very, very lucky with technology. You know, the old days of a slide would come down and we wait for the dust to settle and then we go in and look and poke and prod. Well, you know, we have drones now. So when we worry about the safety of our people not being involved in that slide area, we can send a drone up. Yeah, you just and get in there right away. Now, and the drone can take that information and do the computer analysis of it. And what would normally have taken us two, three weeks to analyze, walking around and doing, a drone can do it in about 48 hours. Wow. So, so it, technology and people and embracing that technology really, really uh, allowed us to move very, very quickly on this. And, you know, technology's moved and, and with it, as I say, the engineers looked at this and 48 hours later, okay, we knew what we had to do. You know, I love the learnings that you're talking about because they also relate to the learnings, I think, even over the last couple of years around the pandemic. Get out of the way, get rid of the red tape. People want to come together and they want to make meaningful change and just the role, the enabler that technology is. So if you were to stand back now and take a look at how things are going to go from here, what are some of the learnings that would be applied? Are we going to build roads differently now, thinking that that probably wasn't just a once in a lifetime atmospheric river. We're probably dealing with that again and again. 
Yeah, good question, because we are going to be. And, 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 and you know, within the Ministry of Transportation's vocabulary, they've had this world word climate change for about 15 years. We've all heard it. We say, yeah, it's going to happen. But I don't think any, any of us recognize the impact it would have. Uh, it's going to change the effect how we go forward. But I'm always mindful that they've been looking at this. And I remember growing up in the North Shore and that Sea of the Sky Highway was always shut down for slides. You know, and then we built the uh, Sea of the Sky for the Olympics. We don't see the slides causing the effect. And what I learned there as I got into this more was ministry understood the effect of building for climate change, building for resiliency. How do you build that infrastructure that doesn't have the slide come right down at the bridge that diverts it to another area? And now that I go up and down the Sea of the Sky, you look for those areas. And so people have embraced it. Technology is there. The engineering and, uh, industry has really embraced this. How do we change going about rebuilding? And not just a, a rebuild or a redesign, but can we build it back better uh, so that this 500,000-year-old storm, uh, how can we handle that mass of rock coming down the road, uh, uh, mountain, if you will, and redirect it so that we can sustain this. And probably more than ever, we, we've seen the need to do that. And, and you know, BC has got uh, 45,000 kilometers of roads in this province. So there's gonna be a lot of effort being put into looking at that infrastructure and how do we make sure it's okay for everybody, not just those of us driving up and down the Coquihalla. So is there still work to be done on the Coquihalla and some of those routes around uh, Merritt and Lytton that were so devastated? Yeah, yeah, you've got, um, you know, when the Coke shut down, they tried to get everybody going down on the Hope Princeton. And what that's a, that is a, a, a journey going on that one, even in the best of times in the middle of summer. <laughs> It was not built for, the, built for that commercial traffic. So um, the intent was let's get the Coke going as quickly as we can to get the commercial trucks going. Um, but clearly, uh, more work needs to be done. And the government has been very proactive out there, seeing contractors, qualifying a bunch of contractors now. And we're expecting to see the contracts being awarded here in the next couple of weeks. The emergency repairs have been done. Uh, so we can run and, and, and go forward now, but we now have to have the more permanent repairs coming forward. And we're expecting to see that from government here in the next couple of weeks. And we're expecting to put shovels in the ground by the spring. And that's perfect timing with spring and summer coming around. That's the building time, right? It, it is. Yeah. 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 We always forget that in the middle of all this Coquihalla, you know, this, this, what happened to us, we're into snow, we're into all kinds of things up there. So uh, it was the perfect storm, if you will, to, to hit us. But, you know, with, with the industry and certainly with the leadership of ministry and the engineering industry, uh, we've really come through and it's been nice to see BC come together on this one. Yeah, I just uh, can't say enough about how quickly the, the rebuild happened. It really was remarkable. If we look at our focus here in the greater Vancouver region, obviously transportation infrastructure is vitally important to the movement of goods and people. Um, some older research, but you know, going back a bit from the C.D. Howe Institute, pegged the cost of bottlenecks in Metro Vancouver between $500 million and $1.2 billion per year. So that's probably got to be a lot more because that research is a little bit on the older side. So have you seen any improvements in recent years? Uh, and where would you say are the most acute bottlenecks for our region? Well, you know, I, you start with the, the port. Um, you look at what was happening when that train, the trains got shut down coming down the uh, number one there. 
Um, and we've noticed Port Vancouver has been investing not just on the waterfront, but as you go out the valley, you look at the train crossings, the bridges, the overpasses going on in there now. They've invested for the future. They're, they're expecting more to come down. So the bottleneck has been here, but we're seeing that investment now going forward. We think as we also go forward, there's still a desire and a need to have some rapid transit. We've, we've you know, we sort of stop out in the Surrey-Langley area. Is there a way that we can, you know, I look, I hear that traffic coming in from the valley down the Port Man and that, and it's, is there a more efficient way of moving people around and, and eliminate that bottleneck? And, you know, when you think of how often the greenhouse gases are being emitted while you're driving down that road, is there a, a, a greener way of moving people around? The, the other side of it, I think, with the bottleneck is, is just governments. You know, we've got three layers of governments. We saw what happened on the diking at, in the Sumas area and everybody pointing fingers at them. Uh, no leadership as to that community. How do we clean that up and, and everybody start working together? Because uh, there is a goal here. Climate change is real and we better be ready for the next one. And beyond climate change, um, there's also, we're a region, we've got hundreds of thousands and millions of people coming into our region um, and expecting more all the time. And so it's going to become even more congested. So looking at those opportunities to deal with the congestion, I mean, Massey Tunnel, of course, is uh, the crossing, the tunnel is, is going to come up. But that's one where, you know, it has been years and years and years in discussions and planning. And, and now we're, you know, we're hoping to get moving again on it, but you know, that that's the kind of uh, delay that really can cost the region economically. You just look at that bridge going down. Is it Oak street across to Richmond there? I mean, how, mm -hmm. how old is that? Um, and how inefficient is that? Um, so I think if you start looking at the bridges and what was the number I saw almost 3000 bridges in this province, but you start looking at the age of the bridges in lower mainland. You know, we've got the Portman, the Potel is getting done, but you start working your way down. If we lose one of those, the bottleneck and the tying up of the economy is, is quite something. George Massey, or I think it's called Fraser River Crossing now, uh, that will be good for us. I think it's 2030 is the timeline now. So um, it's still a, a work in progress. And we see more investment going out the valley. The Fraser Valley still needs, you know, we're still going into... You know, you leave uh, Langley there and you go down to a four lane highway from a six lane highway and, and you start the bottleneck occurs. So an expansion out that way will be very helpful to get the people of the lower man, mainland moving. So how do we accelerate this conversation uh, to make sure that we've got the right people at the table? You know, I love what you said about the learnings from the flooding situation is that, you know, you just cut out the red tape and you just get to, to action. So. What should we be doing now looking at those pinch points around our region and recognizing it just takes time and it takes funding to get this stuff done? You know, you've got how many 20 odd municipalities in the lower mainland? Yes. And that, you know, we, we learned a lesson when it came to around the uh, ride sharing situation that every jurisdiction and municipality had a different approach to it. And that's not very efficient. Uh, no, you got 40 egos sitting there and you're trying to get them to work together. And, and we hope, and our, our industry feels that for the first time ever, uh, the need to invest as one and the need to understand that climate change is here and greenhouse gases are causing these issues. How can we all collectively come together and put aside our own little uh, 
uh, fiefdoms issues and get on with the program. So there's got to be some uh, overriding body that looks at this as a region now and says this is how we go forward as a region and not individually, which really detracts from the efficiency. We feel what we need to be doing better. Industry's there. Industry is very supportive of doing more, doing more green. Uh, infrastructure has been saying there's a better way of doing this. When I talk to our people, so we can move forward. It's it, and I, our feeling is is if we become more efficient in our infrastructure, it will have a very positive effect on on the greenhouse gases that we're emitting, and better for our climate, better for our grandchildren. Yeah, it's such a good point that you make, um, you know, short of amalgamation, which I'm not going to put you and I in that spot in this conversation, but, you know, to have a regional approach, you know, recognizing that we're all competing on a global stage now. And when we're looking at uh, countries that, you know, organizations that are overseas and they want to invest in our region, they're not, they don't think about whether they're investing in Vancouver or Burnaby or Richmond, they're just thinking about the region. And so that, that regional thinking is so important. Um, And, I just, you know, I think when it comes to infrastructure, it becomes even more important because yeah. there is such overlap. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's so inefficient. I use the example of paving a road in Vancouver and 49th Street. And when you hit boundary, you have to change the mix on the asphalt because you're going into Burnaby now. And, and industry just looks at them and really? And that would be an easy change. I mean, on the books, those kinds of things would just make it easier to do business. Yes, no question. Yeah, it's just somehow it's built up this way. But I think for lower mainland, uh, we we do need an overseeing, uh, somebody over having oversight of understanding that this, you know, SUMAS and the impact that we had out there in Abbotsford affected the whole lower mainland, not just uh, Abbotsford or, or Hope and that. So um, there's there's a need for somebody to get involved with. So we see obviously the federal government involved with their money, but I think provincially and in, in the third level will be the municipalities around here. So uh, a regional approach. And then, you know, if I'm asking you to look in your crystal ball, you seem like you're a bit of an optimist, Kelly. You know, well, what are you seeing for our long-term economic growth? And what what are some of those priorities that need to happen to ensure it from the, the infrastructure uh, opportunities? A couple of things. Uh, we have the raw materials for this industry, so we're okay, but we become much more efficient by driving the greenhouse gases down, which we are currently doing. We have people. We have a great industry, but it's not attracting those kids to come into our industry. Um, Labor shortage, right? Yeah, we're seeing it in areas. The industry has an unbelievable capacity to build. You know, people told us 15 years ago or 20 years ago, you never build the Olympics. Well, we built the Olympics. Not only that, we built the Portman and we built the Sea of the Sky at the same time just to throw it in. So industry was able to adapt and we can adapt, but you know, it's that gray tsunami or in my case, the, uh, the look through tsunami is hitting us <laughs> and, and we need to be looking at those kids of the future uh, the Janes and Johns in grade three of getting them into an industry that pays very, very well, uh, good benefits and there's a future there. So there's a people element that uh, we see is gonna be a challenge going forward. Uh, we're slowly addressing, but we, we see that more and more uh, going forward. But we think, and there's also, you know, politicians need to understand that if we're going to build back better, it's not gonna be as it used to be. We just used to pave over dirt. We're gonna to have to make sure that we've invested under what's going underneath that asphalt. There's going to be some more money to be spent. 
investing in the future. Uh, Kelly, we're going to have to leave it there, but I just want to highlight people, the labor shortage. We've got to get to kids early and, and, and show them what the opportunities are around skills, and we need more people. I love what you said about red tape and getting out of the way to get things done. Uh, and then also technology, really important to let technology enable the change. So any last words from you, if uh, advice for anybody who might be listening to make things happen? We're, uh, get into our industry. It's, it's the industry of a future. It has a future. And uh, good, efficient infrastructure is the road to green. Thanks so much, Kelly. Really appreciate your time. Okay, Bridget. All the best. <laughs>